Good morning, church family. I am glad to be here with you. Before we begin, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to gather together in this place. Uh, we're thankful for those that are here in person. We're thankful for those that are joining with us online. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for all those in this city who claim you as Lord. And we are thankful for those who don't yet know you. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would move powerfully in this city through all your believers. We know that uh, we are but uh, one form of the body of Christ here in this place, but the body is much bigger than just this church. Uh, that there are uh, people who bend their knee to you all over this town, and Lord, we ask that you would work through them. In particular, Lord, we ask blessings on Western Hills Baptist Church this morning, their pastor, Frank Pullen. Lord, we, uh, we seek nothing more than to honor your name. It's not the name of this church. It's not our name. It is your name. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work powerfully uh, through our brothers and sisters over at Western Hills Baptist Church. Lord, we ask that uh, this morning that the gospel would pre be preached in their presence. We ask that you would move your Holy Spirit, uh, the same spirit that is present in this place is present in that place at the same time, and that you would uh, move believers to live out our life in Christ. And not only that, but that we would... Uh, taste and see that it is so good and it is so sweet. We must share it. We woe to us if we don't share the gospel. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work powerfully through that place and that you would do the same with us. And, Lord, we're thankful to have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this town. I ask that you bless us this morning as we lift up words of uh, song, praise, prayer, uh, as we take communion together. And, Lord, I ask that you would... Uh, Bless the words uh, that we try to say up here uh, in a sermon and that you would take imperfect words and your Holy Spirit would guide them to what you would have them be. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, it is good to be with you. If, if you haven't been with us for a while, uh, we're going through the book of John. And uh, I think a bunch of you, if you have your, you got your Bibles and your journals, I hope that you had that. I hope you've been taking notes. I hope this is something that you've been spending some time on. Uh, we had Cooper read from uh, uh, John's version of, of Jesus walking on the water. And I don't normally do this when we're going through John, but I'm going to today. Uh, we don't normally try and harmonize, and that's what that means is, is grab the different gospel versions and put them together, uh, in particular with John, because John's off writing in a different way. He's trying to, to complete a different purpose, I think, in a lot of ways than the rest are, and in a different way. Uh, but really felt this week compelled to make sure that we include the story uh, of Jesus walking on the water with Matthew. And in particular, it's because I want to make sure that we see the part of Peter uh, in this story. You know, John's uh, version of this is a shorter version, and it has to do with the signs and wonders that Jesus did. That's a big part of the way John writes, is he wants you to know signs and wonders, signs and wonders. This is what Jesus did, and that is important, and we're going to make sure that we cover that. Uh, but I really want us to, to make sure that we get to the part about Peter, too, uh, this idea that Jesus would invite uh, a follower to come join him. So we're going to go over to Matthew. So you're going to have to set this part down for a second if you can, and you're going to have to pick up your big Bible or your small device that you have or whatever it is, or you can just read up here with us. But we're going to be in Matthew 14, 25 through 33, and uh, I'll do a little setup. This is uh, after Jesus has been doing some preaching, and he tells his disciples, I want you to go get in the boat and head to the other side. It says he tells them to do it, and they obeyed. So this is what they did, was they got in the boat, and they started heading to the other side of the sea. And then we pick up in verse 25. 
And then in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That's the word of the Lord out of Matthew. Uh, I want us to take a look at this. This story is very famous. I mean, there's a lot of people that know about this, and I've heard a lot of sermons about it, and uh, I've heard people do wonderful things with this sermon, the idea of Peter walking on the water. I think sometimes we overemphasize Peter and what Peter's doing and whether or not he's successful. As a matter of fact, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll talk about Peter, and we'll talk about our measuring stick on whether or not Peter did a good job or Peter did a bad job. We'll even talk and go, well, for a while, he was walking on the water. That was good. Then he doubted, and when he doubted, he started to sink, and that's bad. And then overall, we got to kind of give Peter a score because he did call out to God, and that was good. But overall, we look at this and we go, well, this miracle was that Peter was able to walk on the water for a little while, even though he couldn't do it for a long time, and that Jesus was able to do it. And I think we're missing something. I think we're missing something in what's going on here and uh, I think we need to look a little deeper because this is about a lot more than Peter's success or Peter's failure. I think that maybe if we take a deeper look in this, we'll recognize some things about ourselves in this and some of the nature of God himself. First, if I can, I want to go back and go through this a little bit because the language that we have in the translation here doesn't always do justice to what's really happening. And in particular, our art. I started looking for some art. Maybe I could put a picture up there of some of the renditions from throughout history of Jesus walking on the water and Peter coming to join him. And, you know, I don't like any of them. And I don't know about you, but most of the time when I've seen art or when I've pictured this or even when they used to put it on the flannel graph, you know, I don't know if any of y'all know the flannel graph, but they had the flannel graph, you know, where maybe Jesus would be this tall, and then Peter's maybe this tall, and then they have waves that are like this, and they're putting the Peter through there, and then they make him sink behind the flannel. I don't, I, this is my history. I don't know if this is anybody else's, but, um, but a lot of the stories and the way that we picture this is you have Jesus out on the water, and you have them, the disciples in the boat, and the waves are coming up, and you see Jesus and Peter walking through the waves. And I want you to know that that's probably not very accurate. If any of y'all have actually been out on the seas, uh, if you spend any time there, I know I was talking to my father just recently about this. He was off the coast of Alaska salmon fishing, and they got out there, and it got windy. Windy like it's been the last few days? Windy. And as he got out there, and if you've ever been on the sea like that, a big body of water, it's more than waves like this. He said he remembers being in a small boat, that was probably similar to what these guys were in because this was not a big boat. This would be 15, 20 feet, something like that, made out of wood. It was something that they fished out of. It wasn't made to handle the high seas. But my dad was talking about as he was off the coast there and they were fishing, he said, the waves started coming, and you're talking 15-foot waves. And so he said, there's times when you're in the bottom of this, and you can see the wave, and the top of it's way up there, and you can't see anything else. 
And then the next thing you know, you're 15 feet off the ground and you're looking down and there's a dip way down 15 feet for you to fall into. And so this idea that these would be these small waves that Jesus kind of walked through and that Peter walked through and that they were looking through is probably not accurate. More than likely, these waves were so tall that there probably was times where they could see Jesus and then for a second you can't see Jesus. And then the wave would come down and then maybe you could see Jesus. And then maybe the boat went up high and you could see Jesus. And so it was probably not this, hey, we see him walking and he's just cutting right through the middle of the water here and we're sitting still. This was probably this up and down that caused them to be able to, to see sight of him and lose sight of him and be able to see him and then lose him uh, in between these times. It was a lot different than what we talk about. And then there's these familiar words that come up, and I want you to know what they are in the translation. When he says, you know, it is I, don't be afraid, you need to know that. It is I really is translated more than anything is Jesus going, I am. So he would have shouted something that sounded like, I am to them. Now, if you followed uh, a lot of scripture, and especially the Old Testament, then one of the things you'd know is the words I am are very powerful words to Jewish people. This is how God identified himself. And so to have Jesus cry out in that way is to say, don't worry, I am, is something that would have made them stop and realize who they were talking to. And then, of course, those words, don't be afraid, that are said so many times in Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout Jesus' teaching, so many times, do not be afraid. And then you have Peter with his request. Tell me to come out to you. Now, this is not so that Peter can show off. This is not because Peter goes, man, the water walking looks awesome. I would really like to try this. And this is something that I'd be able to put on my bucket list that I've been able to do is water walk. That's not it. You need to understand when you have a disciple who has been called by a rabbi to follow him, that relationship is so close and so important that the idea of the disciple was always to, I go where you go. It was more than just they would meet up at church and things like that. When we talk about discipleship, if, if a rabbi came and said, come follow me, the invitation was to come, you come live with me. You stay where I stay. You eat what I eat. You walk where I walk. You listen to what I say. Wherever I go, you go. That's why one of my favorite phrases that I'd heard from the first century was people would bless a disciple who followed a rabbi and go, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea was to say, may you always be right behind him, and whatever he's kicking up is getting all over you. May you always be next to him. So for Peter to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, to see him out there, is, is Peter saying, call me and tell me to come be near you, like you did before, when you first called me. When I was fishing, and you came, and you said, come follow me. Call me out and tell me that I can come follow you. My desire is to be near my rabbi no matter what. And if we're in a scary situation, I want it even more. This is where I need to be is by you. Tell me I can come be near you. It's the purest of requests for a disciple to call out to his Savior and go, tell me I can come be near you. Wherever you are, I want to be with you. It's a very powerful statement. And then it talks about when Peter saw the wind. And it's more than he saw the wind. The way that that's actually translated is when he saw the strength of the wind. In other words, when Peter got out there and saw what he's really up against, 
when he saw the power of the forces at work against him, when he got out and he realized what I'm up against in this storm is beyond me. This is bigger than I am. This is so much more powerful than me. This is something I can't hold a candle to. That's how powerful it is. I look at what I'm facing, and I look at myself, and I realize I'm wrecked. I'm in big trouble. I can't do this. I realize the immensity of what I'm facing, and I see the smallness of what I am. And that changes so much in what he's doing. So it says he began to sink. And really what that is is he began to drown. He began to become overwhelmed by the sea and the things around him. It was too much for him to handle. And so he began to be enveloped by the storm that was in his life. It began to draw him down into the depths and to totally overwhelm him in every way. So he shouts out, Lord, save me, rescue me, deliver me. The phrases that so many disciples have said to God. Hopefully, very familiar phrases to you. Lord, save me. The words that those of us who belong to Christ have all said. These are words of testimony. I just got to hear a little bit earlier in class some people sharing their testimony of going, this is when I cried out to the Lord. I was in this place that overwhelmed me that was too much, and I cried out, Lord, save me. And that's what happened, was he did. This is the part of the story we should all recognize. The crying out to God when we realize it is more than we can handle. We don't have the ability to handle this on our own. And then immediately it says, stretching out his hand. And I want you to know that phrase, too, has so much meaning to it. It says that immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. And you need to know this idea of the stretching out of the hand is used very often. And it's usually used when Jesus was about to heal somebody. It would say he came upon someone and they asked for healing. And so he reached out his hand. And not only that, but it's also the phrase that's used so often about God himself as he would use his mighty right hand. You'll see this in Psalms. You'll see this in the Old Testament, that the Lord reached out his mighty right hand and he delivered these people. It's the idea of God intervening. Jesus is about to intervene. So he reached out his hand. And when the Lord reaches out his hand for something, you need to know things are about to change. It's a big deal. It's when God decides he's going to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, between mortals and the divine. That's when the Lord reaches out his right hand to do something. And then there's this phrase, and this is the part that makes it kind of hard for us to understand, when he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And I don't know about you, but I've always kind of looked at that as I grew up as a scolding. Jesus' disappointment when he looked at him and goes, oh... You have so little faith. You don't have enough. You're incomplete. You're not what you should be. I'm reporting on your failure. Because you didn't have enough faith, and because you doubted, that's why you fell. And that's what's wrong with you, is that you don't have enough. And I want to tell you, I think we missed the point in this. I think we're missing this whole story and what it's all about. It's almost like we look at this as the success and the failure with this, and we go, there was this pop quiz on water walking, and that's what Jesus tested his disciples with. And Peter came out, and he goes, oh, you did pretty good, but ultimately you failed. I had to save you. I had to reach in and grab you. And so ultimately, you failed. And if we use the measuring stick of how well we walk on water, you need to know it does look like failure, and it will for all of us. 
But that's not the point of what's going on here. There's more to this. As a matter of fact, if I can translate that statement a little bit of, oh, ye of little faith, you know, why did you doubt? That scolding nature and kind of translate it a little bit more to like this, little trusting one, why did you doubt? And that phrase, why did you doubt, is not the normal doubt that is used throughout Scripture. It's a special word. It doesn't just mean disbelief. It means something different. It actually is translated to two, you stand in two ways. It's double standing. And really what it has to do is you have this uncertainty in which, which way to go. So what you had was Jesus going, oh, little doubting one. Why did you wonder whether or not you should go forward or back. Why did you try and stand in two places? It's almost the idea of Peter going, I want to hang on to the boat, but I want to go to Jesus, and I'm not, which way, not sure which way that I want to go. And so I start out there, and I have this indecision, this leaning forward and this leaning back. Standing in two different places. And when I think about that and what Peter went through, I can really identify with the idea of standing in two different places. A foot in both worlds that you have kind of a dual standing. I want to go forward and I want to have faith, but I also want to hang on to the things of this world that I think will keep me safe. And in that indecision, I can begin to sink. That's where fear grabs hold of us. I'm wanting to grab hold of my rabbi, but I don't want to let go of my boat. And I think we can all relate to that sort of idea. Because you need to know the boat represents something. The boat represents what is physical. I can see it. I can touch it. I can knock on it. It's solid. I know what's there. The boat's made to keep me out of the water. That's what it's there for. I can cling to it. It's kind of like bass. You remember playing tag or something and there was bass? Right? If I'm bass, if I'm at bass, I'm good. You can't get me. And this was the idea for, Pe for Peter, is to say, the boat's base. The boat is home. This is the place that will keep me safe. This is what separates me and eternity. This is what saves my life, is this thing I can see and I can touch. And stepping out away from that is a scary thing because I want to cling to the thing that I can feel and the thing that I can see. But like I said, if you've been on a sea in the storm, and especially in the first century, the way they had in those little boats and that big sea, you need to know they were all in trouble. It wasn't just Peter. Everybody was sinking. They were all beyond their ability to save themselves. The boat wasn't going to do it. And you need to know the fear with this, too. The greatest fear in the first century, and especially among fishermen, was to, to drown. That was the worst thing that could happen to you. The idea of the sea, you need to understand. There's this, there's this mass of water that, that is chaos to us during that time. And especially going, we have not been able to, uh, we've not been able to see under the, the water. We have not been able to explore this. We don't know what's down there. We don't know how deep this is. And in the mind of the Jewish people, you need to know the idea of the water and the sea meant chaos. That was how creation started, is the Lord came over the water the deep. And what he did was he made order out of chaos. He put land in this place because the idea of all of that dark water everywhere without knowing what's underneath there, knowing that that can swallow you alive, was chaos. And so the idea that that little boat was going to keep you out of that was not true in any way. 
but you have that idea is the storm's out there and I'm in the boat and I'm safe. But safe and saved are not the same thing. Those are not in any way the same thing. Those in the boat, they were in danger too. And the storm out on the lake, it was an overpowering force for that boat. That boat could not withstand the force that was going to come up against it. It was way beyond their ability to withstand it. They were severely overmatched. And when everything is out of control around you, I know that oftentimes I have reached for what's safe instead of what will save me. I try to stay where I am, hoping that it will be enough, and I cling on to things of this world, hoping that they will keep me safe from all of the storm that is around me. I can end up with one foot in the boat and one foot out of the boat trying to decide what I'm going to do. Uncertain about which way to go and who to trust and what is important to hold on to. See, the part of this story that's interesting is we spend way too much time on whether Peter did this right or whether he had enough faith or whether he failed or whether he succeeded. Again, like there's some secret test that he was trying to take, and we look at it and go, overall he failed, but that was a good try. But you need to know, Peter was doing what the Lord asked him to do. He told him, I want you to go get in the boat and go across the sea, and they did. And then the storm became too big, and they realized they could not row against it. They were not going to be safe on their own, and they're not going to be able to withstand what's happening to them. It wasn't sin, and this is not a cautionary tale of what to do or what not to do and go, whatever you do, don't be like Peter because he didn't have enough faith and he didn't walk on the water. What we should be doing is looking at it as the natural walk of a disciple that Jesus calls to. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. He doesn't say, come follow me and whatever you do, don't mess up. Come follow me and you better not ever take your eyes off of me for a second or you'll be devoured. He doesn't say, come follow me, and you better not sin in any way, or I'll let the sea just overtake you. He doesn't say, come follow me, and if you don't do this exactly right, you're in big trouble. That's not the call of the disciple. He doesn't say, no disciple of mine would ever doubt or stand in two ways or in two places. He doesn't say that. The calling is not to follow and don't sin or don't mess up. It's the opposite. Jesus' call to us is to say, you come follow me, of course you're going to fail. Of course you're going to look away. Of course you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to break some things. You're going to hurt some things. You're going to get hurt. But Jesus' call is, you come do that with me. You do that right next to me so that I'm the one that can pick you up. You're going to fall. We're all going to fall. Your decision is who you want to fall next to. Your decision is who you want to call out to when you fall and when these things happen because Jesus' call is to you come fall into my arms. doesn't matter what you've done. I already paid for that. That's taken care of. You let me pick you up. There's some things that keep us from doing that, some things that we have to struggle with that keep us from being right near our rabbi when we mess up. One is just pure comfort. For a lot of us that have belonged to Christ for a long time, we get to sit there and go, I kind of like where I am. I like the way things are going. Even if it may be far away from Jesus right now and I can't see him as well as I'd like to, I really don't want to risk it. I got things kind of nice. 
I'm comfortable in the boat that I've built here of my own actions or my own work or my own mind, and I'm just fine. I got my comfy house. I got my nice 401k. Life is good. And so I'm going to hang on to where I am in the boat. I belong to Jesus. I was baptized. I come to church. I have things really just the way that I like them, and you need to know that the call of Christ is not for us to stay in the comfort of the boat. Jesus doesn't stay in the boat. Jesus is out walking in the storm. You want to know why? Because there's people dying out in the storm. And that's where he's going to be. He's going to be out there lifting people up who are drowning, who are being overcome in every way. And if what we want to do is follow him, then we have this opportunity to go, I'm going to turn loose of the things that are comfortable, and I'm going to go follow my rabbi wherever he goes. It doesn't matter if he's in the middle of the storm. That's where people are that are in pain. This is the difference between coming to Christ and abiding in Christ. I know you go, oh, the abiding thing again. That's how I started. I know I did eight weeks on y'all in abiding. This is why. There's a difference between coming to Christ and abiding in Christ. It is not the same thing. You realize that his call wasn't just come to me. Jesus' call is come to me and stay with me. That was what it means to be a disciple for them. It wasn't just drop your nets and come to me right now and I'll heal you once and then you can go about your way. It was come to me, drop your nets, come to me, let me heal you, and then you stick next to me no matter what. You stay right next to me. And here's why. You're going to fall. You're going to take your eyes off. You're going to begin to sink. The storms of this world are going to take, take you on and they're going to knock you down. And you need to be right next to me when that happens. You need to be right next to me so that I can pull you out of that. Follow me to a place where I will have to help you because that's a big part of following Christ too. We go to places where we know we can't handle it on our own. We step out in faith to the places where God has to act. We have a Savior who interacts with us, who uses his mighty right hand, and he's calling us to be out there where he is. When it's scary, when it's hard, when I've messed up, when I don't know how it'll end, what I get to do is go, I'm right next to him, and that's where I'm supposed to be when this happens. The expectation is you will. You're going to mess up. You're going to struggle. You're going to have a hard time. Christ didn't come to save you once. He came to save you all the time, every time. That's why we abide. That's why when we see him out there, we go to him, and we stick right next to him. The same power that called you and saved you will continue to save you over and over and over. That's why I feel for Peter in that spot where he was wrestling between this, Jesus called me at one point, but I don't know if I can go to him right now. I don't know if I can step out of this place that I feel like is safe and if I can go through this storm to get to him because where he is seems scary. But the call of Christ there is you come out of the boat and you come abide with me. You come draw close to me where I am. And Peter was willing to do it. And that's the neat part about this story. He's on an active mission to save the world. That's where Jesus is. And what he calls us is to go, you stay next to me with that. You come with me as I work in that. There's another reason that sometimes we don't go to our Savior. There's another thing that can keep us from being right next to him, and that's shame. We sometimes have this idea, I have messed up too bad. This one is too big for the Lord to save me. I'm sinking too fast. 
This is too big a mistake. I've taken my eyes off of him for too many times. And maybe this time he looks at me and he's too disappointed to save me. Maybe this time he looks and he just shakes his hand and he says, I'm going to let you get what you deserve. I'm going to let you fall into the water in the storm of your own making or I'm going to abandon you during this time. Maybe right now you're involved in some sort of sinful activity that has kept you from being able to come and face the Savior. It's kept you from being able to turn loose of the boat, maybe this place that you are, and be able to walk out and go, I'm going to call out to Christ. I'm going to fall in his arms. I'm going to let him save me in this way. Think that the waves maybe are too big for him, and they're not. Maybe you think he'll be too disappointed in how you failed this time again. Seems to be the same way you keep falling. And through that, you don't want to face him. But you need to know that defeating shame is Jesus' specialty. That's what he does. And when the Savior of the world has called you, and his greatest desire is not just to call you, but to keep you, to keep you next to him, especially when you're sinking, you don't turn away. That's his desire to hold you close, and to keep you next to him. Stay with him. This story is about what Jesus does when we begin to drown, when we begin to sink, when things grab hold of us. That's what this is. It's not about a time of disappointment for him. I don't think Jesus was disappointed in Peter. I think he thought that was a precious time. This was the time where my follower wanted to be with me so much that he stepped out of that boat and walked toward me. And when he started to fail, he did the right thing. He failed next to me, and he failed in front of me, and he called out to me. And I reached out and grabbed hold of him, and I pulled him up to me. And that was one of our best times, I think Christ says. That was one of our best times. It wasn't the worst. That was the best. That's when you called to me. You let me save you. You realized you couldn't do this on your own, and you let me hold you close. This story is not about how dry Peter stayed. We would like to have thought, well, he went out there and he walked on the water and he never fell and he never got wet. Oh, we're all wet. Every one of us. We're all going to be wet. That's not the point. And then finally, one of the things that just keeps us is pure fear. We have this, well... Even if he saved me before, I don't know if he's going to save me this time, right? I don't know if he'll come through for me. Don't forget that this happened just a few chapters and a little while after Peter had been on the boat with Jesus when the storm came up and Jesus stepped up and calmed the storm with a word. He was witness to that. This is somebody, Peter, who could stand up and go, I watched you take care of storms before. This is nothing for you. You've saved me before from storms. When the waves got so big, when this was too much, when I feared for my life, when we knew we were going to die, and you made it all go away, but I don't know if you will this time. Matthew 8, 25 through 27, this is that story. This was when the storm came up, and they went and they woke Jesus saying, Save us, Lord, the same words that Peter spoke. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And then he said to them, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? It's almost the same words verbatim. Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt? 
And at the same time, they watched him calm the storm. But then this time, Peter's out there, and in the same way, he has to call out, Lord, save me. You need to know, this is the life of the disciple. We call out to Christ. We know that he is the Lord of wind and waves, but you need to know if you forget that and you struggle and you find yourself with your foot in two different places, you call out, he still uses his mighty outstretched arm to save us. Even when we're afraid that the waves are bigger than the wave maker, we realize how ridiculous that is. The one who makes the waves, who makes the seas, and we're scared he can't overcome them. We're afraid he can't save me from the waves. Or we find ourselves in a place and go, if I'm in the middle of this many waves, he's abandoned me. He must not be here because the waves are too big. There's too much happening. I'm suffering too bad. I'm too afraid. He must be gone. But you need to know this is usually the times when he's closest to you. So many of us have that story, right? I think I shared with you guys uh, one point a few years ago. Uh, we got a call from the doctor from a biopsy, and they told us, hey, Melissa's got cancer. She's got breast cancer. And there's this time where you don't know it, how serious is this? Is this, is this deathly cancer? Is this going to be okay? What do we know? And, and you don't know. For weeks, you don't know. And a lot of you have suffered this and much worse. There's these times where the waves come and they seem to overwhelm you in some way. You see the trouble that comes. But I'll tell you too, those are the times that you can draw closest to God. Those are the times when you feel yourself sinking and the waves are really coming up and you cry out and you go, Lord, save me, that he holds you closer, he grabs hold of you, and you're closer than you've ever been to him. I want to tell you, for us, it's, it's such a strange thing. I don't want to go through that again, but man, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Not for anything. We were closer to our Lord than we have ever been. There's something about in the midst of the waves and the storm crying out to your God, realizing this is more than you can handle, falling into his arms, and having him reach out with his mighty hand and grab hold of you. A lot of you know that. And let me tell you, these are the stories we have to tell. For those of us that are followers of Christ, this is what we tell. I was there in the storm through my own making or the way that this world attacked me. Maybe it was the way that I messed up. But I want you to know those are the times when you reach out to him that he's right there and he grabs you no matter what and he saves you. This thought that I may not be strong enough, you need to know it has nothing to do with your strength. Peter didn't lose faith in Christ. Peter lost faith in Peter. He started realizing he wasn't big enough for what he was facing. But he called out to the right place. You don't need to fear that maybe this time he won't be there. We get to fall into Jesus' arms, and you need to know that will become the hallmark of Peter's life. Time after time, failure after failure, he says the wrong thing. He does the wrong thing. He promises, I'll never leave you, and then denies Jesus three times. And then later falls into the arms of his Savior. As he said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. That coming back the way that the Lord keeps setting him back on pace. He does the same for us. The miracle is not that Peter is a water walker. It's that Peter fell into Jesus' arms. That's a miracle. And that Jesus grabbed him and saved him. He sank well, 
Peter sank well. May we all sink as well as Peter, right next to our Savior, calling out his name. That's the way you fall, because we're going to fall. You can fall way over there in the boat, or what you can do is be right next to your Savior and let him grab you and save you. Again, I don't think that's a time of disappointment. I think that is the time that our Savior longs for more than anything. He desires that, to go, hey, you're going to mess up. That's okay. I took care of that. You're going to fall. That's okay. You're going to make a mess of some things. That's okay. You do that with me. You fall right next to me. You hang on to me because that's my favorite time. That's the time that I get to hold you close. That's the time I get to be your Savior. Those are the times I get to do what I was made to do. I can picture Jesus saying, you fell trying to get close to me. You need to know I don't hold that against you. I hold you close to me. That's the point. This is what it means to be a disciple. It doesn't mean I follow and never mess up. It means I follow, and when I mess up, I grab onto him. I mess up right next to him. I let him save me in that. Big question for us is what keeps you from being right next to him in the first place? The things that you have going on that you go, I cannot take this to the Lord. He cannot see that I've done this again. It's too much shame. It's too much fear. I worry that I'll be disappointment. You need to know that whole walking on water miracle. The real miracle is that I want to be close to Jesus all the time. I need to be next to my Messiah. That's where I want to be. That's what this story is about. This is a story about a guy who goes, I'm going to be next to Jesus no matter what. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if I start to sink in the way. If I sink, I'm going to be right there. That's the miracle of this story. Because we are not defined by our water walking. We are defined by who reached out to save us. That's what we share in common. We all have that. Every one of us in here who belongs to Christ had this time where the waves were too big, the ocean was too much, and we cried out and go, Jesus, save us. And he did. That's who we are. We are not people who are awesome at walking on water. We are people who cried out to the right person, and he saved us. And we all still call out to him. And that's the thing, is he didn't save you once, he's going to continually save you. We're going to take some time to pray here in a minute, and we want to give you an opportunity, if you need to go before the Lord and... Confess some things to him. If you need to pray with somebody here, our elders and ministers will be around. If you need to repent for standing in two different places and not having the courage to just reach out and grab hold of him. If you've been too afraid to come to him because of the things that you've done in your past, you need to know those waves are not too big for him. They are not. He can pluck you out of that. All he wants is for you to ask. And I'll tell you, if you don't belong to Christ, i got to tell you, too, you're holding on to a boat that's going to sink. That's all there is to it. There is no boat that's going to save you like Christ can. It doesn't exist. And we would love to tell you about it. We would love to tell you, isn't this amazing, this idea that we have about how you give your life to Christ and you go sink into the water, and then Christ rescues you and pulls you out of that water. As a new person, no guilt, no shame, washed clean, a whole different person. Amen. That's what that is. That's what we share with each other. We would love to show you that. We would love for you to know about that. If you would, please stand. We're going to read a scripture together, and then I'm going to close this out in prayer, and we will have some songs. And like I said, if you would 
uh, need prayers, we would love to pray with you. If you want to talk a little bit more about what it means to grab hold of Christ, we would love to share that with you. Come find one of us. But if you would, read with me as we read aloud. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the miracle that you continue to save us when we call out your name. Lord, that's what we share in common in this place. That's what we worship for. This is why we lift up praises to your name. This is why we are able to bow down because we realize that the storm of this world is more than we could handle. We cannot overcome it in any way. We are outmatched. But what we did is call on he who made the storm and he who made the sea and he who can save us. And we have been redeemed. We have all cried out at some point to you and you have saved us. And so, Lord, let us draw near to you no matter what. Let us abide in you, staying right next to you in our successes and in the things we're proud of and in the things that where we mess up. Let us not be ashamed in any way, but instead realize the power of the cross has covered up every sin. You continuously save us every day. And Lord, for those who are here who may not know you yet, we ask that you would pierce their hearts with your love. Let them trust in you, reach out to you, and call out your name and let you pull them from the water in the same way that you have us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.